Good morning, church. We're in a four, uh, fourth week of five weeks where we're having a conversation about technology and a longer campaign trying to challenge us as individuals, as families to rethink the technology that is so present in our lives and how we put it in its proper place so that it gives life to us and doesn't rob life from us. So today I want to start by talking about a decision that all of us are forced to make on a regular basis every day. It's the question of where we put our priorities. How do we make decisions between what's good and what's bad? The path we should take versus the path we shouldn't take. Or maybe the question comes like this. Is this new technology actually a good thing for us? Or is it it taking away from our deepest goals and purposes as individuals? When you come across something new, whether that's technology or an idea or a person or a relationship, how how do you decide? If it's a good decision or a bad decision, how do you navigate this in the road? And what I want to do this morning is I want to remind us of a principle right out of scripture, right out of the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount that I think is a good test for how we begin to make those decisions to get more perspective when it comes to these day in, day out things that we have to decide in our lives. So turn with me, if you would, to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 7. This is at the the end or the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7. If you've never read this sermon, it's like one of the best sermons ever preached. It's by Jesus, of course, which makes it good, but it's powerful. It, It is a challenge for us to practice this in our lives. That's the challenge at the end is whoever hears these words and puts it into practice, that's who the wise person is. And so I want to, I want to read from part of that sermon in Matthew 7, beginning in verse 15. I want you to listen through the lens of technology Uh, This is in the context of prophets, good prophets, false prophets. Listen also how it may apply elsewhere in your life. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear good fruit or bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. In a way, what Jesus is trying to help us see is how we're living our lives right now. The decisions that we make on an everyday basis is like planting seeds and watering seeds that are going to grow some kind of fruit later on in our lives. Have you thought about that before? The simple decisions you make have long-term implications. And Jesus is trying to help us play the long game, not just the short game question. What is it going to develop over a decade with the decisions that we're making in our lives? Think about this for a moment in the world of the mentors that you've gathered around you in your life. The people that you look to in business or in spirituality or in all facets of your life, parenting. And think about those mentors that you place around you. I want to think for a moment just about financial advisors, because it would be real easy for us to think about financial advisors and those who would mentor us in our you know, portfolio or are trying to build a security uh, for our retirement years. It'd be real easy to think about just the bottom line of finances. Is this person developing enough that I could retire on? Are they helping me along those, that pathway? And maybe you've seen they've been able to do that. But what I would want to ask the question of, is this person the kind of person you want to become if you develop things like they have? Because there's a, there's a morality, there's a, a sense of who we are. And I've seen people who are able to build wealth who, who die alone 
who die really greedy and really, they've accumulated all this wealth with no place to give it or to enjoy it. I've also seen people who have means that are able to use that and they, they gather people around them. They're people who are full of joy and they're, they're generous people. And so when you look to mentoring, one of the things I would want to ask you is what's the fruit of the life of the person who's walking with you, no matter the area it may be. That's what Jesus is trying to help us see. Think more than just the short-term gain. Think more than just what's in front of you, but think about how these seeds that are going to be planted are going to bloom into fruit. When I bought an iPhone, I did not apply the fruit test that Jesus encourages when I first bought it. Are you with me this morning? I knew what the machine would do for me, but I never thought once about what the machine would do to me. Let me say that again. I knew exactly what that machine was going to do for me. Steve Jobs had made the case, right? But what I didn't know was the fruit, the long-term fruit of what that phone would do to me. I think a lot of us are in that place where we think about the benefits and don't always think about what other fruit may bloom on our tree decisions that we make. The life you are living right now will produce fruit. The question is, what kind of fruit will it produce? Based on the planting and watering you're doing today, just look out further than just in this instant moment. We're an instant gratification culture, aren't we? Make decisions on what's going to happen today or tomorrow. What does it look like long term? That's what we want to look at today. Let's pray as we open God's word this morning. God, we, we ask that you would come and you would help us bear good fruit. We pray that for ourselves as individuals. We pray that for our families. We pray that for this church family, God, that the community around us would see that, that the people who gather at this place, God, are people that are, are, are learning how to, to water and plant seeds that grow into great trees, strong oaks, God, that last through the storms of life. God, would you allow us today to see a a greater glimpse of all that you're doing and and what you're trying to grow in us, God, and the very things that are needed to develop the good fruit you want to see in our lives. This morning, I pray you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts and that we would bear good fruit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I can think uh, back on my life about decisions I've made and about the consequences that I still live with. Some of you know this well. When it comes to the area of financial uh, debt, you're you're living with what feels like maybe a a yoke on you, something that's very heavy because you've made decisions uh, over the years that maybe if you could do it over again, you might do a little different. And now you're dealing with the effects of that and trying to help with that. There's a great ministry we launch every January. It's called Financial Peace Universe. It may be something you want to look into at some point because I think there is hope, even in the most dire of circumstances. We've certainly seen that in our church of people who've been able to do that. But, but if you were to go back and talk to yourself when you were younger, my guess is a lot of us would go back and would tell ourselves to save a lot earlier than we did, right? And we would think that some of the things that we bought and purchased on credit may not have been as important as what we thought they were. This is not just true, though, in the financial world. This is true when it comes to our health as well, isn't it? Because a lot of us are dealing with issues today that are a result of decisions we made about our health that were instant gratification decisions, right? That were made over the long haul that now we're dealing with the effects of. And, and some of us, if we could go back, we would, we would tell our younger selves, maybe we eat a little less and maybe we are more active in our lives and there might be a difference that would be seen. But this happens in all kinds of areas in our lives. And if I were to go back and teach a principle of Jesus about this fruit, about the long-term vision of what we're supposed to do, not just what we do in the moment, I know the message that I would want to send to young Colin. I've shared this story in this room before. I grew up as a preacher's kid. I did everything I could to have every appearance as if things were good in my life. I was a leader in the youth group. I tried to do the right thing. I 
I, I, I was a, a perfectionist, and so I tried to apply that to my spiritual life as well and live out as good of a life as I could. And externally, I pulled it off. I gave a great image of what a Christian young man ought to be. But at that time in my life, I was planting and watering seeds that would cause me trouble for years, even a decade ahead of it. And it happened through this whole conversation about technology. I, I didn't want to leave this out because I thought it was so important for the conversation we're engaging as families. Um, and, and, and it's part of my story as well. So one day I was at a friend's house and I was opened up to a whole portal of the internet I had no idea about. I was shown images on a screen that I realized that the internet was more than just something about finding out good information on a paper. And with the advent of the internet, pornography was no longer as hard to get as it once was. And I found myself trapped because of seeds that I was watering in that season in a death spiral that would lead to all kinds of destruction ahead of me. I vividly remember a moment that sums up my darkness at the lowest point of all this, I think. I, my mom was trying to plant and water seeds. My parents were both great about that, trying to set boundaries for us and lead us in the right path. And, and it was one uh, day that I woke up, and all of a sudden I noticed something different on the corner of the television screen that was upstairs where my brother and I would play video games and we would watch television. And she put this on all the TVs, but I noticed it up on this upper right-hand corner. It read something like this. I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. And that's found in Psalm 101, verses 2 and 3. It was just a card that was on the corner of the screen. It's right out of the words of David, interestingly enough, who knew a lot about what you set your eye on and what it can set the course for your life. And I remember being in such a dark place. I didn't understand at the time that I was frustrated with my mom. Why would you put this in front of me? Why would you make this change to our television? And so I took that card and I ripped it up and I threw it in the trash. I'd gotten to such a dark place because I had been planting and watering seeds that were filled with lust and, and filled with this addiction to pornography that I didn't want to see scripture in front of me reminding me of the right way as I was caught up in the wrong way. My mom was trying to do a wise thing. But I was following the path of King David, just not this verse. It was the earlier parts of his life. See, David knew what he was talking about. It was one day when he looked down from his roof and saw Bathsheba bathing, and he ended up sleeping with her and, and getting her pregnant, ends up uh, trying to cover it up and kills her husband, one of his soldiers in the process. And in those early days of pornography, I never once asked the question, what kind of fruit is this going to produce long term? I never thought about the future. I never thought about why, uh, what that was going to produce in me. And here's what I believe. Your habits will make or break you. The kind of seeds that you plant and what you water in your life, we may think in, in short term about what that will create, but in a long-term way, it can wreak destruction. And, and, and no one knew about any of this. It was a secret life on the side of my life, and those secrets, they had consequences. They affected the early years of my marriage with Holly. And as I've shared with you, it was Celebrate Recovery that changed my life. Because I walked into this ministry where I could confess all of my struggles, all that I'd gone on with. I'd always confess my sins to God every night, praying that God would forgive me. There was a whole other thing when I shared that, those sins, those, and I confessed that to a brother. I shared all that had gone on in my life. And all of a sudden, what James says is you'll experience healing in that moment. There's a power about sharing in community. 
And a lot of us have experienced that who are involved with Celebrate Recovery. You may see some shirts around the room that have Celebrate Recovery on them. Some of our volunteers and, and those that are involved in that in a major way are here and, and would love to tell you about In fact, there are row shears in the row in front of me. And I share that with you, not just as a promotion for CR, but to tell you this ministry changed my life in a season where seeds were being planted that could have reaped destruction for generations to come. And what Celebrate Recovery helped me do was to take those seeds out of my life to take what was being sown for destruction and to begin to plant different kinds of seeds. My guess is there's a lot of us room when it comes to technology that are planting seeds. It may not be the same that I dealt with, but, but I would want to tell, uh, uh, tell us as a group that there's a fruit that's being put into the lives of a generation of young men and increasingly young women who are growing up, who are introduced to sexuality in this way, and it is not going to reap a good harvest. It will reap abuse. It will reap Trouble, it will reap a lack of trust. It can destroy our relationships. See, evidence is piling up that the earlier and earlier you use this pornography, the less capable you are of real intimacy with real partners. The fruit of these seeds is destruction, and it is not good. Using people for our ends. Pornography provides and portrays a world where sex is easy. But did you know that the most prolific creators of pornography in our world are not those who are professionals. It's not professional photographers. It's ordinary people starting in their teenage years. Listen to this stat. An astonishing 62% of teenagers say they've received a nude image on their phones. And 40% say they have sent one. But before we begin to worry about this new dynamic with our teenagers, I think we all have to ask this question, don't we? Because none of it, when it comes to this area of our life, are we completely whole. We have all kinds of pain in our past all kinds of experiences that we're engaging that sometimes we forget where this path leads us. It's important for us to understand this. But this is not a sermon about pornography. This is a sermon about fruit. And what's being produced in us as we engage in our screens. We tend to, to believe that our phones tell us about the outside world. But I'm beginning to wonder if they actually tell us more about ourselves. In the story of Harry Potter, in the first book, there's a mirror that shows up in that book. It's called the Mirror of Erised, and actually Erised is just desire spelled backwards, which is an interesting play on words. When a person looks into the mirror, what they see is their greatest heart's desire. I want you to watch this clip, actually, uh, of Professor Dumbledore, who's speaking to a young Harry about uh, this mirror and what it might be creating in his life or where his desire might lie. Let's watch this clip. I think that clip is really interesting in light of this technology conversation. Because in a way, it's a prophetic statement about what technology is doing to us, right? The very keystrokes and and taps that we make on our phone, they may say more about us and our desires than they say about anything we're seeking out in culture. Uh, It's interesting, some of the quotes, and actually the book says it this way, that quote from him, men have wasted away before it. Sound familiar? entranced by what they have seen or been driven mad, not knowing if what it shows is real or even possible. I read a book when I was preparing for this series. It's an interesting read. It's called Everybody Lies. The tagline is big data, new data, and what the internet can tell us about who we really are. And in this book, the author, the writer talks about how there's a lot in our culture that we lie about. I mean, we look back to Uh, poll numbers in the last election. We can see the polls really had it off. But what this guy goes to prove is 
Uh, if you look behind Google and you look at the Google search trends, you can find out a lot about the future by l- looking at what people are searching for. Because the reality is we will lie any day and all day to a pollster about what we uh, like or what, who we're going to vote for or whatever else. We won't do the same when it comes to the white Google text box. In fact, the white Google text box has become our truth serum. Because there's a lot of things you won't say to people around you, you won't admit to. But if you have a question that you really want to know the answer to, a lot of us don't have any fear about typing exactly what we're curious about most into that white text box. And I find that real interesting. It's like this box opens us up to confessions that we might not be able to confess to anyone else. And here's my question. If if all of the questions and the thoughts and the interesting things you've typed into that box were to be revealed to all of those in the room this morning, a little scary what that would reveal about who we are, isn't it? And we know deep down that's being kept somewhere, right? It's amazing how these machines that we think are trying to get us access to other places may be telling us more about ourselves than we're telling to anyone else. You've confessed things to Google that you would never confess to another person. There's a new TV series that's popular right now in England. It's called Black Mirror. And it envisions what our culture with technology will look like 20 years after the fact. It's kind of looking at what are the seeds we're planting and what might the culture look like as a result of it. In other words, what are the fruit that's going to be born from what we're doing in their habits? And it's not an optimistic series. Now, it's called Black Mirror because that's exactly what that cell phone looks like if you don't have it turned on and you turn it toward your face, right? I mean, it shows a reflection of who you are, like the mirror of Eris said. My question, I guess, this morning, what I want to suggest are three things that I think we're looking for when we look into these black mirrors. And the first thing I think we're looking for in the midst of that is we look to our black mirrors for escape, for escape. Our technology provides us uh, short vacations in the midst of our otherwise busy lives. We're busy with our work, but we need a break. And so we look into these black mirrors to somehow find an escape from our work. Or how many of us uh, can admit and be guilty that we've uh, used our black mirrors to try to evade awkward conversations with people we don't want to engage, right? I think I had this happen to me the other day. I was actually in the store and somebody I'd known a long time ago. And, and, and as soon as I walked up, she went to her phone and I thought, I wonder... I wonder if there's more to this than just actually a phone call, right? Have you ever been in that situation? You've, you've called or you've texted or you've just kind of gone to your phone just to evade a situation? Our smart, smartphones are more like portable shields we wield in public in order to deter human contact and interaction. I've heard it said before that our apps and our smartphones kind of run like slot machines, right? What happens on a slot machine? You pull a lever. I don't know anything about this, but I've heard, right? And... And, and, those, and it runs, and, and you're hoping to get a, a big win, right? And isn't it funny when we scroll on our phones, there's like a dynamic that's the same, right? We pull the lever down, and the timeline goes, and we're hoping on the other end to discover something new or maybe have some of the feeling of a win. You know, many decades ago, C.S. Lewis wrote a great book called The Screwtape Letters. And in that book, uh, he talks about the n- nothing strategy of Satan, which is a strategy that basically... Uh, leaves a believer at the end of their life looking back and saying, I now see that I spent most of my life doing neither what I really liked nor what I ought. It's a senior demon who's encouraging a junior demon about how you distract believers. And this is what that chapter says. It says the nothing strategy is very strong, strong enough to steal a man's best years, not in sweet sins, but in a dreary flickering of the mind. 
in the gratification of curiosity so feeble that the man is only half aware of them, in the long, dim labyrinth of reveries that once chance associations had started them, the creature is too weak and fuddled to shake it off. Isn't that interesting? The dreary bickering. It's as if Lewis knew ahead of time what we'd struggle with today. The second thing I think we're looking for when we look into our black mirrors is for esteem, for a sense of worth and value that we don't currently seem to have. It's amazing in our culture what our teens are able to do that we couldn't do years ago. They can quantify how popular they are by the pictures and the posts that they put on social media. It's kind of scary to think about it, right? I mean, you put your picture up and your friend puts her picture up and the number of likes or comments is going to tell you who's actually more popular. We can quantify that in a way that we couldn't years ago and it's dangerous. In fact, I know as I was reading this about people who will post pictures Young teens, or, or maybe some of us ourselves, honestly, this may not just be a teenage behavioral thing, right? We post it, but if there's not enough comment or like, we'll delete that post so it doesn't look like our stats are down. Isn't that interesting? Asina O'Neill was a 19-year-old Australian uh, Instagram star who had accumulated more than 500,000 followers. She was making money off of her Instagram feed because advertisers were advertising to somehow show up on her, her space. And then one day she quit cold turkey. And then there was an interview about why she chose to do that. Listen to this. Over-sexualization, perfect food photos, perfect travel vlogs. It is textbook how I got famous. But it consumed me. I spent ages, 12 to 16, wishing I was someone else. And then I spent ages 16 to 19 constantly molding myself, editing and self-promoting the best parts of my life which turned into a massive career based on numbers and how I looked aesthetically. Being born into this screen-dominated age, we are taught to mold ourselves in order to gain the most social validation, likes, views, followers. I've simply taken myself out of the sculpting studio. In the end, I was a living paradox of conditional self-love and constant self-hate. My self-worth relied on my social approval. I was trapped in a cycle that became empty, hateful, Jealous and insecure. I now want to put all those hours I looked into a screen, into my real life goals and personal relationships. See, Asina woke up to the fact that what she was doing with her phone wasn't actually adding the thing that she hoped it would. It wasn't giving her what she needed most. So sometimes we look for esteem. But the third thing I want to talk about that our black mirrors show us is they develop in us an ego. We can develop an ego from our social media and from the posts that we give. How many of you are familiar with the Greek myth about Narcissus? You remember that story all the way back in school, perhaps? He took great pride in his appearance. And one of his enemies noticed this and saw, maybe there's a weakness here in the fact that he likes to look at himself. So he took Narcissus to a pool where he saw his own reflection in the water and he couldn't look away. And he quickly fell in love with the beauty of his reflection, so much so that he lost the capacity to distinguish himself from the reflection. He didn't want to eat. He didn't want to sleep. He just wanted to stare right into that mirror, that reflection of who he was. He lost his will to care for himself, and eventually he ended up dying as a result of the attention he he gave to this mirror of sorts. And Narcissus is actually the origin of the term narcissism which means to be fixated on yourself or on an image of yourself. And technology is one of the ways that we try to develop this, that we look to our devices to somehow give us what we need. I read an interesting piece the other day 
about how it's difficult to really see who a person is through their Facebook and Instagram posts. I guess that's not a shock to us if we're open to this world. Because what we do is we pick and we choose what we want to post about ourselves. We basically give our human highlight reel to social media to reveal to us, uh, to others, the best version of ourselves. For example, statistically speaking, pictures of BMWs and Mercedes are found on personal Facebook posts far more than any other car. Owners of BMWs and Mercedes are two and a half times more likely to post about what car they have than those without them. And why is that? Because in our culture, these are status symbols. Or take take this example. The Las Vegas budget hotel Circus Circus has about the same number of hotel rooms as the Bellagio, a luxury resort there in Las Vegas on the Strip. But the Bellagio gets three times more check-ins than Circus Circus. Or take music, for example. On Facebook, men tend to underplay their interests in female artists. Bob Marley, Kanye West, and Kendrick Lamar get far more likes than Katy Perry. But when you look at Spotify statistics, men ages 29 to 40 listen to Katy Perry far more than Marley, Kanye, or Katy Perry, or or Kendrick Lamar. The, The piece went on to talk about how what we search for on Google and what we listen to on Spotify are probably true indicators of what we believe and what we desire and the things we post on social media to make it look otherwise. The mirror of Erised isn't actually a fictional mirror at all. We carry it around in our pockets all day and every day. Which takes me back to a passage that I want to share with you as we close our time this morning from Galatians chapter 5. Paul is writing, and I think he's picking up on the very words of Jesus from Matthew 7 that we read earlier about fruit. And Jesus talks about two lists of fruit. And he says, it's important for you to look at the kind of fruit you're developing. I want to read beginning in verse, uh, this is Galatians 5, beginning in verse 13. Listen to these words, especially in light of this conversation about technology. You, my brothers and sisters, are called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Really good words from Paul, right? What sums up the law is to love your neighbor as yourself. Talks about not using freedom as an excuse to indulge yourself in the, the, the things of the flesh. But in the verses that follow, he talks about two lists, two lists of fruit. And as I was listening to the documentary that we showed a few weeks ago called Screenagers, they brought up self-control in that. And I got to thinking about these lists and how self-control shows up in one, but there's a lot of other things that end up in the other list. So I want you to hear these lists, and my question I want you to think through as you listen to these lists is, what is the kind of fruit that your technology use, that social media is actually developing in you? What what are the seeds that you're planting and watering, and what's the fruit? And let's think long-term about this as well. Let's think about our culture. Listen, verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy. Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, 
and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. See any of those things on the list that our culture could be described by right now? So you think in your own life, maybe you see the fruit of this being grown? And then I want us to pay attention to the second list. I hope some of us can maybe point to these even, that technology may be drawing out. I hope. Verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. What do you think? What's the fruit of all this doing to us? Because we're spending a lot of time. In fact, just think about the number of hours that you're using on your technology and what it's planting. And then think about the time you're using in healthy relationships, in educational opportunities, in spiritual disciplines, in worship opportunities. It's really hard to compete with the number of hours that we give other places as we come here and tell the story of God and be reminded of what we're to be about. So what in your life right now would you decide is the fruit that's coming out of all this engagement? I look at that list, especially the first list, and I, I just have to think this is exactly what I see all around me. Especially when it comes to hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, factions, envy. Isn't that almost like a perfect example of the fruit that's coming out of all this engagement that we have in social media. There are people that are losing relationships with one another because of posts that are put on social media. We gather into our echo chambers and we gather and we hear the things we want to hear and put away the things we don't want to hear. It's creating a whole lot of mess in our culture right now. And what the culture needs right now is a group of people who are willing to develop the fruit in the second list who are willing to live with love and joy and peace rather than hatred and discord and envy. I want to challenge us as we close today. Greg's going to challenge us in just a moment too as we close our time. But I want want you thinking about this question this week. As you're scrolling through, hitting that lever on the timeline refresh, just think for a moment about what, what is this creating in me? What are the emotions that I walk away with when I shut this phone off and I've engaged for as long as I have? Is is it the first list or is it the second list? And the the challenge of Paul, the challenge that Jesus gives us is we can't just look to the present moment. can't just look what our food does for us as we taste it in the moment. It creates things down the road that sometimes we wish it wouldn't the next morning, right? The same thing's true, I would suggest, with our technology. It's creating something in us. Right now you're planting seeds. And you're watering seeds that will develop fruit of some kind down the road. We want to be the kind of people that our community looks at and says, it's the second list. Think about just that idea of self-control for a moment. Have you thought about this? I I think about self-control as something I do, right? That I have to muster the self-control. Sometimes I look at my kids, have self-control. But what is self-control according to Galatians 5? It says that it's a gift of the Holy Spirit given to us. Maybe that's a prayer we need to pray this week. God, would you give self-control to me? It's not something I can muster on my own. God, would you develop in me this habit through the disciplines I'm I'm living into? I want to close with a prayer this morning, but I hope this week you'll continue to consider this message. You'll continue to consider what it is that's being born in your life. We want to be people who develop the fruit of the Spirit. Amen? Amen? Let's close with a prayer this morning. God, we, uh, we thank you so much for 
these lists and for the fruit that develops, God, when it's good fruit. And God, right now, there's some of us this morning that need to confess seeds that have been planted that are, that are bringing up a harvest of things we don't want to develop. We're seeing it in our kids as well, God, I'm concerned. Because what we want for our kids is the same we want for us. It's an abundant life that's led by the fruit of the Holy Spirit, not this viceless, God, that's filled, filling our lives so often through our phones and our technology. But God, we've got to take control and responsibility for this. No advertiser, God, uh, has control over us. We want to be given back to your spirit to control uh, the fruit that comes. So God, as we uh, take these seeds out this week, and as we plant new seeds, God, would you help us see the kind of life that you promised to give to those who are caught and called by your spirit. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.